scripture reading today is found in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 4 and in your um, Bibles, Pew Bibles, it's on page 148. I'll be reading um, verses 1 through 14 and then I'll move to 32 through 40. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them, that you may live and go on and may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed them among you, all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you have held fast to the Lord your God, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. And now verses 32 through 40. For ask now of the days that are past, which are before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of the earth to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds and terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he lets you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he lets you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, 
by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for inheritance, as it is this day. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you all the time. This is the word of the Lord. For some time we have been in a study of the Gospel of Luke. Some of you have been in the church long enough to remember when we weren't in the Gospel of Luke. And for the last three weeks we have sat at the foot of the cross while Jesus hung there and took His last breaths. And in each of these three sermons, we have gone back to the Old Testament to understand why the curtain was torn in two, to understand why Jesus prayed, into my hands I commit my spirit, to understand how it was that the centurion who crucified Christ was saved there at the foot of the cross. And so if we are to understand what exactly happened there on the cross, we have to have some understanding of the Old Testament. Jesus knew this, as we will see when we get to Luke 24. After His resurrection, He is explaining His death and resurrection by looking to the Old Testament. Look at... Well, don't look there. I'm just going to read it to you. Luke 24, 25. And He said to His disciples, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. As Jesus prepared for the cross, and even as he hung on it, he remembered both who God was and the promises God had made to his people. And because he remembered these things, Jesus was able to be obedient, obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And so this morning, with the idea of Jesus' obedience in mind, we take a brief vacation from the book of Luke to look back at Moses' words to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses will encourage us this morning, just as he did the Israelites, to always remember who God is and what He has done for His people. For it is only in remembering these things and passing them down to our children and to our children's children that we will be a people who are able to be faithful to the calling that God has given us. Before we look at that passage, let us go to the Lord in prayer. A few minutes ago, by remembering some of our history, and Moses begins the book of Deuteronomy the same way. In chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses recounts for the people of Israel how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, how God had brought them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai and had given them His law, and then how soon thereafter the people who had seen God rescue them from Egypt, he had seen God part the Red Sea, he had seen God provide manna and quail in the wilderness, how God, when God told them to go up and take the promised land, the people rebelled. The people no longer trusted God. And the people said no. In fact, the people said, oh, that we were still back in Egypt in slavery, because at least there we had food to eat. Those very people rebelled against God. And so God said, 
This generation will wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the next generation is raised up. And those are the people I will take into the promised land. And that's where Moses is this morning. That's where he picks up in chapter 4. He and the new Israelites, this new generation, are standing at the edge of the Jordan River and they're looking over into the promised land. And if you remember, Moses doesn't get to go. And so Moses is giving his farewell address to the people. Look at verse 9. Moses says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Moses is telling the Israelites and us that in order to be faithful, and in order for the coming generations to be faithful, then we must always remember who God is and what He has done. Because if we fail to remember these things, then we will fail to be faithful. And so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is we must remember who God is. Every Sunday morning, John begins the service with this refrain. I tried to echo it this morning. I think I failed. But that refrain, he says, is we have come here this morning to meet with God. But who is this God who meets with us? Is He one God of many gods? Is He an all-powerful God or is He limited in some way? Is He a just God or is He an arbitrary God? Does this God reveal who He is or does He leave us guessing? Can this God's love be bought or is it freely given? Who is this God that we have come to meet here this morning? Moses answers many of these questions in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. We only have time to focus on one aspect this morning. Moses teaches us that the God we say we worship is the one and only God who created all things and who rules over all things. That is the God that we say we are here to worship this morning. Look at verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God There is no other besides Him. And in verse 39, Moses says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. So as the Israelites prepare to enter the land of Canaan, a land where the people worship a variety of gods, a God of the sun, a God of the moon, a God of the rain, a God who causes the crops to grow, Moses is reminding the people that their God the God who rescued them from slavery in Egypt, the God who sent the ten plagues in Egypt to show the Egyptians that He was the one true and living God. Moses is saying, Israelites, when you go into the land and you're surrounded by all these other gods, you must remember who your God is. He is the one true and living God. Our God is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He is the God who created the sun and the moon. He is the God who causes the rain to fall. He is the God who causes the crops to grow. And Moses encourages the people to remember this as they enter the land, lest they forget and they become unfaithful. And the same danger lies before us as God's people this morning. If we fail to remember who our God is, then we will be tempted to become unfaithful and worship the gods around us the gods of money and comfort, security, selfishness, the God of relativity 
that tells us we can't have confidence that our God is the only God and that He is a God who loves us, that He is a God who forgives us, that Jesus is the only way to Him. These are the gods that surround us every day. And to remain faithful, we must always remember that our God is God alone. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. There is no other. And while we may not understand everything about Him or everything that He does, He is not silent. He is a God who calls us to meet with Him and to know Him. And He has called us to do that this morning. And He says, remember who I am. Remember who you meet with this morning. He is God. And so we must remember who this God is. And we must also remember what this God has done. For He has redeemed a people for Himself. And we are those people. Look with me at verses 34 and 37. Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for Himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Verse 37, he says, And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. Moses is reminding the people that their God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. God, this only God, he made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would be with them that He would be their God and they would be His people, that their offspring would be numerous and would become a mighty nation and would live in the land of Canaan. This is the promises God made to His people. Yet if we remember the story of Israel, as we begin the book of Exodus, there's a people. Abraham's descendants are there, but they're not in the promised land. No, as we begin the book of Exodus, God's people are in slavery in Egypt. And God's people are crying out for freedom. They're crying out to be rescued. And in Exodus 2.24, we are told this. God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So God looked, and He saw the plight of the Israelites. He saw the condition they were in. In Christ Presbyterian, we must know and remember this point. right? As John would say, if you haven't listened to anything else, listen to this. He'd also slap this thing real hard. (laughs) That God rescued His people from slavery because He loved them. right? That's what verse 37 says. God loved them. He did not rescue them from slavery because they earned it. God did not look down from heaven at the Israelites in slavery and say to Himself, there's a good and righteous people. Those Israelites are great slaves. They work hard every day. They are living life the right way. They're doing everything I expect out of them. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so as a result of that, I'm going to go and rescue them because they've earned it and they deserve it. No. God saw the Israelites' plight. He knew they could do nothing about it on their own. And He made a plan to rescue them because He loved them and because He had made a promise 
that he would be their God and they would be his people. God did not require his people to be good first in order to earn his love and favor. He did not require obedience so that they could earn their freedom. God's redemption came first. The blood of the Passover lamb came first. Salvation comes first. It is only then that God brings His people, the people He has rescued, the people He has saved, to the foot of the mountain at Sinai and gives them His law. Only after He has saved them. Only after He has said they are His people. Obedience did not come first. God's love came first. Right? And we always remember this. If you look over in chapter 5, just one chapter over in Deuteronomy, he gives the Ten Commandments again. And in verse 6, he gives the preamble to the Ten Commandments. So before he gives the law, before he tells his people what it is he wants them to do and how they're to live, he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God saved his people without considering their goodness or their worthiness. We have to know that. And we have to know that the same truth applies to us. For we are now God's people. We don't have time to look at the specifics, but the New Testament writers consistently apply the language of Israel to the church. Go home and read Galatians chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 2. And you'll see that Peter and Paul remembered the story of God rescuing Israel from Egypt, and they knew that same story had occurred again, but this time on a grander scale. For you see, when Jesus hung on the cross and when He rose from the grave, God didn't simply rescue a people from physical slavery. No, He rescued a people from the bondage of sin and from the power of Satan and from the power of death itself. And on that cross, we must always remember that Jesus redeemed a people for Himself. And we must know and remember that Jesus did not look down from heaven and say, there are people who are living right. There are people who have it all together. There are people who are seeking me and want to live as I do, right? There's Ronald Jenkins, and he's the best deacon I've ever seen. That guy, he just does everything he's supposed to do, right? God didn't say that. He didn't say, look at Spence Halford. That guy's a world championship duck caller. Surely if anybody deserves to be loved by me, it's him, right? I was going to make fun of Blaine and Luke this morning, but neither one of them are here, right? God doesn't do that. Right, This one's going to be hard for you to believe. God didn't look at my wife and say, there's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She's the greatest wife, the greatest mother. She deserves my love. Right? That's not what He did. That's not what He does. Instead, He looks down from heaven and He sees the people who despised Him. He sees the people who rejected Him. He sees the people who weren't even looking for Him. He sees the people that He knew when He came would hang Him on a cross. And he says, I love them. And I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to take on the form of a man. And I'm going to go walk in their shoes. I'm going to go live the life they couldn't live. And I'm going to die for them. Right? That's what God does. So we must always remember that God sent His Son to die for us because He loves us. Not because we deserved it not because we were obedient. So Moses is reminding us we have to remember who this God is and what this God has done and who we are. And it's in remembering these things 
in only remembering these things that we can be faithful to the calling that this God we meet with this morning has given us. And so how do we do this? What can we do to help ourselves, our families, and our church to remember? We live in a world that wants us to forget, and it challenges the very truth of the claims that we are making this morning. So what can we do to remember? Well, the first thing we can do is do what we're doing right now. We can show up on Sunday morning, right? We can listen to God's Word. We can sing the songs. Look at the songs we sing this morning. Great is thy faithfulness, right? It's teaching the same truth. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, right? It's teaching us. God is the Creator. We're remembering these things. Remembering, He says, pardon for sin and a peace that endures. We're remembering as we sing that song that Jesus has pardoned our sin. And come thou fount of every blessing. We're remembering. It says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, right? That's what I just said, that we weren't looking for Him, that we were a stranger to Him, and He sought after us. That He interposed His precious blood. That we are prone to wonder, right? So one way we remember is we sing together. I tell the students all the time, that's the reason God gave you a voice, right? He didn't give you a voice so we could talk about SEC football or whatever else it is we talk about all the time. He gave us voices so we could praise Him. And so if we're not using them on Sunday mornings to sing His praises, then we're not doing the very thing God gave us a voice to do. That's one way we can remember, right? You can take that a step further. This would be really weird for some of us and really bad sounding for some of us. But we can sing at home, right? We can buy a Trinity hymnal. We can sing at home with our families to help us remember who this God is and what He has done, right? We can meet together on the times the church gathers on Wednesday nights. That's the reason we do it, is so that we can help each other remember who God is and what He has done. We can read our Bibles, right? I forgot to bring a little thing up here. We can do what's called a catechism, right? The question and answer. It helps us remember. We've got copies of it on the table out there. We can go through it with our children. If you don't have children, you can go through it with your spouse. Right? These things are memory tools. They help us to remember always who God is and what He has done. Because if we fail to remember, we will fail to be faithful. We are bombarded by a world that does not want us to remember, that does not want us to know, that does not want us to have confidence in our God and who He says that He is. And so we must help each other. We must remind each other. We must be constantly remembering who He is and what He has done. And now that we have remembered who God is and what He has done for us, some of us may be asking, what difference does it make? But I'll tell you the difference. It changes everything, right? If we are truly meeting this morning with the very God who created and sustains all things, and if this God truly came as a man and walked the face of the earth and died on a cross and three days later was raised again, that's what we say we believe. If we truly believe that, it has to change everything. Right? I mean, think about that. You don't get to sit here and say, all right, yeah, I met this morning with the God who created all things. All right, now I'm just going to keep doing what I was doing. 
That makes no sense. It changes everything. Right? Look back with me at verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Again, Moses is telling the people that they must be careful to remember who God is and what He has done. But why? Look where Moses began in verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Moses begins this chapter by calling God's people to obedience. In this chapter, he uses the words do or keep at least eight times. And he is saying in verse 9 that they will not keep God's law if they do not remember who God is or what He has done. But why? Why is it important for God's people to obey God's law? Remember, we're already God's people. The Israelites were already God's people. He had already rescued them from slavery. Right? If our faith is in Him, we are already saved. We have already been reconciled with God. So why obey now? Why care about obedience when we've already received the reward? Well, Moses gives us three reasons. First, when we remember who God is and what He has done, it reminds us that God has given us a new heart. He has raised us to a new life. We have been changed, and therefore we have new desires. Look at verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Notice that this knowledge is a matter of the heart. Why does this matter? Look at chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verses 4 through 6. This is a familiar refrain. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart. You see, when God saves us, He changes our hearts through the work of His Spirit. And with a new heart comes new desires, new affections. Our hearts now begin to long for Jesus. We begin to love what He loves and hate what He hates. So we want to obey His laws and His commands because His Spirit lives within us. And through the power of the Spirit, we begin to love what our Father loves. Right? Think about this. We can see this in our own lives. right? You all know this about me. I love the Chicago Cubs. Okay, My children, for now anyway, love the Chicago Cubs because they, they imitate that. They see that that makes me happy. They see that it brings me sometimes joy. Right now, not much joy at all. Okay, But they see that, and they know that, and they imitate it. Right? We can see this all throughout our lives, especially with our children. Right? They love what we love, and we're the same way. When we remember who God is and what He has done for us, God's Spirit drives us to obedience because we remember we are His children. And again, we don't become His children because we are obedient. We become His children because He loves us. Now in this day and age, both in the church and without, too often obedience is a bad word. I mean, In fact, when I was preparing this, I didn't want the title of the term, sermon to be remember and obey. Right? Obedience is a bad word. Outside of the church, and sometimes inside of the church, obedience is negative because we want to be our own authority. We want to make our own rules. We don't want to be obedient to anybody except for ourselves and our own desires, right? That's as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. 
But obedience also has a negative connotation inside of the church. Because too often we're afraid that with obedience comes self-righteousness or legalism. That people will try to earn God's favor through their obedience. And this is a legitimate fear. Because we never want to communicate that God will only love us if and when we act right. But both of these ideas get biblical obedience wrong. And we do not need to be afraid of the word. Think about it. We don't think of obedience as being bad when we talk about it in the parent-child relationship. We expect our children to obey us. And we hope their obedience comes from a heart that knows we love them and want the best for them, not a heart that wants to earn our love. I hope all of us tell our children that we love them because they are our children, not because they're smart or beautiful or athletic, not because they are obedient, but simply because they are our children. And God's love is the same. He loves us because we are His children, not because we are obedient. And our obedience comes from knowing this about God, that He loves us and He wants what's best for us. Which brings us to the second reason Moses tells us we should care about obedience. Because God's law brings life. Look again at verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. When Moses says, do them that you may live, he is not preaching legalism. As we have already seen, he is not telling the people that God will love them and they can only live if they keep the law. Now what he is saying is that if the Israelites want to experience true life, the life God originally intended human beings to experience when he created them, then they will follow God's laws. God's laws align us with God's truth. They align us with God's design. God doesn't give us law to rob us of our joy or to keep us from fun. The same way parents don't give their children's rules simply to be overbearing taskmasters, right? My child's outside last night. Another kid from the neighborhood rolls up on a four-wheeler. The kid on the four-wheeler is about 10. Some of you in the church know him. And my rule to my child at this point is, by no means are you to get on the four-wheeler with that child. It's just not going to happen, right? I didn't, I didn't tell Samuel that because I just want to make sure Samuel has no fun ever. I told Samuel that because if he was going to get on that four-wheeler, likely he was going to end up dead because I knew the kid driving the four-wheeler, right? I gave Samuel a rule and I expected obedience because I love him. Not to keep him from doing things, but to keep him safe, to protect him, right? And God's law works the same way. It's meant to protect us and to give us wisdom in how we navigate this oftentimes difficult world, just as the rules we lay down for our children are meant to protect them and to give them wisdom as they go out in the world. They can navigate it and they can make good decisions. So we obey God's law not to earn His love, but because obeying His law is the only way we can be the people God created us to be. As Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And finally, as God's people, we should care about obedience because our obedience to God's law reveals the very person and character of God. Look at verse 6. Keep them and do them. 
For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What can we do to communicate who God is to the world around us? Be obedient. Let's start where Jesus started, right? Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Commandment, right? A law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we show the nations who our God is? We love God and we love our neighbor. And God's law, what does it do? It teaches us how to love our neighbor. Right? Think about this. Do not kill. Right? Now that's extreme. But that includes, as Jesus tells us, a prohibition on hatred. We don't love our neighbor if we hate him. Right? Do not commit adultery which we know includes a prohibition on lust. We don't love our neighbor if all we do is lust over him. Right? Do not steal, which includes a positive commandment to be generous with our neighbor. Do not covenant. Do not covet. Right? Which means that we're supposed to be a people who are grateful. We're supposed to be a people who have gratitude. Right? We could go on and on about this. God's law teaches us how to love our neighbor. And when we love our neighbor, that's how we show people who this God is that we say we meet with this morning. That's how we live as the people God has called us to be. Right? How do we fulfill the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples? How do we do that? We have to start by loving God and loving people. People are most likely not going to want to be disciples if we don't love them. And so that's why we're obedient. Because the law is good. It teaches us how to love. And so obedience is good. It is not bad. It brings life. And it shows the world around us our God. And we must remember who this God is and what He has done in order to be obedient. And so for those here this morning that do not know who our God is, know that our God loves you. and He does not ask for your obedience first, but simply that you believe in Him. For those here that do know Him and recently sent your kids off to college, remember how God has been faithful to your children. And pray for them. And pray for His continued faithfulness in their lives. Remember that He's a God that answers prayers. For those of you this morning that are dealing with sickness, whether it's you or your family, remember that our God is a God who heals and that our God is a God who has conquered death. And cry out to Him for mercy, for comfort, and hope. For those of you who are here this morning who are struggling with your sin, repent. Right? That's the command. Repent and ask for forgiveness. And remember that our God is slow to anger. And He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for His people. Moses says in verse 31 of chapter 4, The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. For all of us, 
even though we are prone to forget, we are prone to wander, and therefore we are prone to disobedience, remember always that our God does not forget. And that when we are faithless, He is always faithful to the promises He has made to His people. And then look with me again at verses 30, verse 32 and following. I'm going to read it with slight modification. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of a book, as you have heard this morning and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a people from the hands of Satan and death itself by becoming a man? by working signs and wonders, and by dying on a cross, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by the great deed of God raising Him from the dead, all of which our Lord, our God, did for us by sending His Son, Jesus. Remember that. And join with me this morning as we sing of our Savior and Lord, who was born Thy people to deliver, who was born to reign in us forever, and who by his all-sufficient merit will raise us to his glorious throne. Let's stand together.